You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 1st, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film editorial director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home News Writer, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, Monday. Uh, hey, everybody. Happy Monday. How's it going? <laughs> Did you just call me Monday? That was the most Monday thing I could have possibly done. <laughs> okay, let's get into some news. Uh, you know, it is August. It's finally August, and it's, su- it's supposed to be, Ryan, the month of Andor. You know, with Andor coming out in just a couple weeks. Oh, wait, that's not happening. this morning uh the the trailer for andor was released and i i believe it was supposed to be coming out when was it supposed to be coming out uh i think it was toward the end of this month yeah maybe august 31st i think it was and uh so i guess that wouldn't be the month of andor I'm, i'm just a little bit joking here but they have pushed it back they pushed it back to september 21st so that's a good uh three weeks right there so that's the bad news. The good news is that they're releasing three episodes at once for the premiere on September 21st. So that is good. I don't think we've ever gotten three episodes of a Star Wars TV show uh, on its debut. That makes me wonder if it's like a slow start. Do, do they need all three episodes to convince us 
that to be in on the series. Um, but mm-hmm. what were you gonna say? Well, I was I, I I I guess we should maybe talk about the why it was delayed, and that sort of ties yeah, into why? what I was gonna say. Yeah, I mean, do you do you have any thoughts on that? Because I'm pretty sure I know what it is. I I actually don't know. So it sounds like you have a better theory than I do. Yeah, so I think what we learned with Obi-Wan and Miss Marvel is that when you have the overlap between Star Wars and Marvel, like Miss Marvel seemed to suffer for that. So oh. you have you have She-Hulk coming out on the 17th. And that's going to so I think they're waiting they're going to they I don't think they're going to overlap these shows anymore if they can avoid it. So I think they're going to let She-Hulk wrap up before before uh Andor kicks in and my suspicion is that that three episode premiere will buffer the length of the season to not run into the next thing. Ryan, you're brilliant. That that is I, I think probably most likely the reason. So it's not yeah, even that like they need the three episodes to have us get invested. It's really a matter of scheduling that I, I'm know, starting to think that's it because well, because they loved Miss Marvel, like the reviews on it were great. The people that did watch it, but it was just it couldn't it, dropping on the same day as Obi-Wan. I think I really think hurt that show. So uh, I don't know what would have happened if it hadn't been up against Obi-Wan. But I but I think She-Hulk specifically, they're a little uncertain about what the audience might be for that. And they don't want to give it they want to give it every chance to succeed. So I yeah, I think that's going to be the thing from now on. Hmm. Okay, my, my other question to you is D23 is coming up, and that just happens to be on the 9th, 10th, and 11th in September, right before this is going to premiere. Kind of almost the same playbook as Star Wars Celebration. Do you think we're going to get to see a sneak premiere at D23? Yeah, I get, my, my guess is they'll probably just going to show the three episodes that they're going to show at debut so it'll essentially be like a a movie length probably like so they'll probably essentially do a screening for for people that's like you know and basically the length of a movie yeah and and this morning they also had a trailer premiere which looks beautiful this looks at least by this trailer it really looks like a caliber of a, a star wars movie it doesn't feel tv um, at least the way it's caught with the music and the music yeah. is like, so not star Wars and nice it, to see the galactic Senate back. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess spoilers for this trailer, but they see saw back two tubes from, uh, from, uh, what was he in uh, rogue one? I think he was in well, rogue two one. tubes was in, yeah, two tubes was in rogue one. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, um, I'm with you. The look of it. And I think the Mandalorian credit where credit is due a lot of the time looks very good. But I think like you and I had the same issues as like Obi uh, with Obi-Wan and Boba Fett a little bit where at times it definitely looked very TV. Um, and I don't think this looks that way at all. Uh, and uh, yeah, I how shall I put this? I have a very sneaking suspicion it's going to be good, at least out of the gate. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't checked out that trailer, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You should definitely go check it out. If you, if you are not already excited for Andor, it, it, the only thing, the only uh, qualm I have with this trailer is it pulls the whole like, see how the rebellion it was started. Ryan, wasn't that the whole pitch for Star Wars Rebels? It was, but that was also an animated show. And, I know. Uh, 
and it just and, feels and like look, they're doing the same marketing over again. Sure, but but you're marketing to a different audience ostensibly. Like I, 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 Star Wars Rebels is some of my favorite Star Wars of all time. But I, but this, but this is existing in a bit of a different space. And I think these things, because I think one of the things that Rebels made clear is that the formation of the rebellion was kind of taking these disparate ele- elements together to make like a, a a cohesive rebellion that could stand up against the Empire. So yeah. I think like you know the Ghost Crew and some of that stuff this is kind of like some of the other factions that came together, I think is what we're going to see. Yeah. Well, the other funny thing about star Wars rebels is pitched as like, these are the first rebels. And then, I mean, spoiler for star Wars rebels, but we, we end up learning that the, the it wasn't the first rebels. Yeah. But it was some of the first rebels. I don't care. I don't care so much about how they sell me something. If it's good, that's all I care. Yeah, and like, yeah. and, and star Wars rebels to me is, truly like it's as time goes on it may still be my favorite thing of the disney era of star wars i really do love it i think after ahsoka comes out in live action star wars rebels is finally going to get it to do because it is really great storytelling it's really great star wars and i think that show is going to actually send a lot of people to that series yeah, because... the the the, peop, the people I've convinced to watch Rebels have all come back to me and been like, "Holy shit!" And I'm like, "Yeah, I know. It's 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 really good." <laughs> like it, the the first season's not as great as the rest, but like the first season doesn't lag nearly as bad as those first few seasons of like Clone Wars do to me. And then like seasons two through four are just, I mean, you know, it's 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 if you love Star Wars on any level, it's as good as it gets. Yeah, and of course, you know, Andor's character that was in Rogue One, uh, Tony Gilroy uh, notoriously came on to that project and helped uh, save it, and he's the showrunner here. Uh, this is a two-season, the first season is 12 episodes, second season's 12 episodes, but I think the first season's the first year, and then the next one is the four years or something like that? No, I think they're doing, they're like, th- I think they're doing, like, they're going to span that whole five years leading up to Rogue One between the two seasons, I think. Yeah, but I thought I heard that the first season is just one year, and then the next season is four years. Oh, maybe that's what it is, but but yeah. but, but the, the two seasons will cover that gap. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. But anyways, Tony Gilroy, I know you wrote an article on the site. <laughs> he was talking about how he had no interest in Star Wars. Yeah, and this is something, this is not new. Like, it was known, Tony Gilroy did not care about Star Wars, but it is worth going in, you know, he reiterated in in the upcoming issue of Empire Magazine that, quote, no interest in Star Wars when he signed on to get Rogue One into shape. Um, Gareth Edwards directed Rogue One, but famously late in the game, Lucasfilm felt it needed a lot of work, and Gilroy was the guy that came in and, did rewrites and and it's pretty much as far as I know been confirmed that he pretty much directed all of those reshoots and also might have even been in the editing room to to retool. So I don't know how much of Edward's it, it vision. It is so weird, Ryan. I I want the book that's going to come out in ten years because you have Gareth Edwards talking about being in the room when they're shooting the Darth Vader scene that was you know at the end of the movie that was part of the reshoots. But, but like if he was replaced, why would he be there directing? I don't know. It, it's so confusing. Here's of- the thing. You know, what, what's interesting about it is I actually think this is one of the this might be the only situation I could ever think of where I just don't think Gareth Edwards was bitter about it. Like, I think maybe he probably had to swallow some pride at first. But then I think 
he might have actually ended up collaborating more with Gilroy than like it was yeah. like a like a replacement job. You know what I mean? Because Gareth Edwards always talks about it. Like he even did like that five year interview at late last year, I believe, like the for the fifth anniversary. Like he doesn't seem to harbor any bitterness about it. You know what I mean? Like, so I feel like he must have him and Tony Gilroy just must have come to an understanding along with the brass at Lucasfilm. Like, you know, this isn't where it needs to be. Let's all work together here. That's my suspicion. I don't know yeah. whether that's right, but, but, uh, but, but point being Gilroy had a gigantic hand in getting that movie where it needed to be. Um, but so, <laughs> and, and, uh, and that movie ended up being, I mean, it's, uh, a lot of Star Wars fans think that Rogue One is the best film of the new, you know, the Disney era of well, Star Wars. And I, and I would go so far as to say a lot of a lot of Star Wars fans think it's one of the better Star Wars movies, period. You know, I, I and uh, uh, to finish Gilroy's quote here, he also said of not having interest in it, he said, I think that helped. It's effective on a doctoring job, meaning like script doctoring and stuff to have an emotional detachment. You wouldn't want your cardiothoracic surgeon getting emotional. Uh, he seems to have a bit of a sense of humor about all this. Um, but then he also sort of talked about their goal with the show. And he said, our goal with the show is ambitious but simple. We want to blow the hardcore Star Wars people away. But we also want their husband, neighbor, sister, that person in their life who's never gotten why they like Star Wars. We're absolutely going for both audiences. So it seems like they, they have a little bit more ambition here to sort of maybe reach some people they haven't reached with some of these other shows. It, it makes me wonder, though, like, do you think this approach is a good approach? Like, you know, you had J.J. Abrams, who was a Star Wars guy didn't love Star Trek and he signed on to do notoriously to do Star Trek and uh, say what you will about the sequels that he was part of. But that first Star Trek film, I think is awesome. I, I am. I, I really love that, that movie. And I think his, him not having an emotional attachment to the series, I think helped it. But at the same time, there's so many movies where like, especially in the video game world of a uh, video game movie world, I should say, where directors come on to make a project that's based on a video game property and they're clearly not fans of the video game and they're just using that as an excuse to make something in that genre because, you know, it's going to give them a bigger, a big budget to play with. And those movies turn out to not satisfy fans of the original property. They don't tend to be you know, good enough to appeal to the masses. So uh, what do you think? Like, is, is this approach always the approach that you should take? Uh, I don't know. I just think like the right, per the, the right person, if they have an in on the storytelling, they're the right person. And like JJ Abrams, Star Trek. So I am not a Star Trek guy, never have been. And I don't know if I ever will be, uh, but uh, so my best friend, uh, shout out to Roy in Arizona, uh, back in the day, we, he was like, I want to go see Star Trek. And we used to go see movies all the time together. And I'm like, dude, I don't like Star Trek. I don't want to go see this movie. So he kind of dragged me kicking and screaming. And I think in the years since that movie's come out, I've probably watched it a dozen times. I love that that 2009 Star Trek movie. And I also am quite a big fan of Star Trek Into Darkness because, again, I don't have that Star Trek thing. Like, I don't have a lot of fondness for the other stuff. So to me... I was just able to enjoy that sequel on its own two feet. Yeah. So like, I, I think that worked well. And, and, and I, I love rogue one. I love rogue one. And I think Tony Gilroy is a hell of a filmmaker. So like, 
if he likes this corner of that world enough and he has the support to make sure that he is getting the Star Wars of it all correct, I don't see why not. Yeah, I, I don't think you need to have an emotional attachment to the property that you're adapting, but I think you need to have respect, I think is the word. I think the thing is like Tony Gilroy, I think, is is a good enough filmmaker that he he clearly would have respect for it. But I but again, whether or not his personal interest in it, you know, I mean, I think yeah. you might be splitting some hairs there, but. I think, you know, I think you can, because I mean, look, two seasons of a big show like this, I mean, look, no question, it's a good paycheck for the guys, so that's going to come into play, but like, I don't know if you could dedicate that much of your life to something if you were just miserable about it, you know what I oh, mean? Yeah. So, so, so I think he clearly must be interested in, in continuing this, and he must have had a good experience with Lucasfilm the first time around, and, you know, so, so I, I sort of get the sense that you know, the thing I'm most curious about and whether or not there's any bitterness now is that, you know, Gareth Edwards was not his name is nowhere near this. He <laughs> clearly, he clearly wasn't asked. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I think that's a little telling, but, you know, uh, but again, uh, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe that's just public speak, but Gareth doesn't seem to have a lot of bitterness about the whole thing. So I don't know. It'll be. Uh, I'll be curious to see if he says anything once this comes out, because I I don't even think he has an executive producer credit. Does he? Actually, I'm not. Gareth even Edwards. Sure Gareth this. Edwards is not attached to this in any way, shape, or form. He has nothing to do with it. That's uh, kind of crazy. So, yeah, because well, because also you got to remember he didn't write any of it either. You know, he 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 was working from that treatment and screenplay. So like, you know, he was he directed it, but he didn't. You know. Uh, yeah. And the other thing, and the other thing, the other thing, not to get too off topic here, Gareth Edwards has not directed a movie since then. Now he's finally got one in the works, but he waited five years to direct another movie. Now, did he wait or was Hollywood waiting? Like I, you know, was, was, uh, who knows? Like that, I thought, I always thought that was weird. I mean, <laughs> that is weird because uh, take what you will of the controversy behind the making of that movie, but that movie was a huge hit. Huge and also Godzilla, a very big hit too. You know, like before that, and I and I also again I should mention I quite love that first Godzilla movie and and uh, from 2014. So like you know the guy had two big big budget hits in a row. Um, you know, uh, I always thought that was peculiar. Now, granted, if he had a kind of rough experience and he went from one thing to the next, um, he probably had enough money to chill if he wanted. Uh, you know, like he, he, because the rumor about that sci-fi movie he's doing right now, like he waited for the right thing. Like he was like, look, I don't want to just jump into something. So that's the, that's the sort of line going around. But I do find it weird that a guy that made two movies that big in a row just waited five years and did yeah. nothing. And uh, just put the numbers in perspective, Godzilla did over a half a billion worldwide and uh, Rogue One did over a billion dollars over a billion and and also godzilla launched that monsterverse franchise too that's so not only was that movie a hit it it springboarded the whole monsterverse you know like it so i mean you know there there's there's something to that yeah okay uh before we get into box office there's one other last thing i wanted to talk about this came out of comic-con or started to come out of comic-con and that is Spider-Man freshman year. We didn't get to really talk about this on the podcast last week. And this is something that was announced, 
I want to say it was during that investor, like that. Uh, the uh, Disney Investor Day from a couple yeah. years ago. It was either that or it was around that time. But what it's been, it's been kicking around for a minute. So when this was first announced, it was kind of proposed like this is part of the MCU canon. And this will tell us how Spider-Man that we saw in Civil War and in, in the MCU became Spider-Man because it would basically tell the story of his freshman year, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case, it turns out. At Comic-Con, they had a Marvel animation panel, and it was kind of revealed that freshman year, the, this animated series that will be on Disney+, Plus. It won't take place in Earth 616, a.k.a. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but they're still saying it's Marvel canon, and we'll get to that in a second. So it almost seems like this is like a series-sized what-if. So what happens here is in the, the key difference here is before the events of Captain America Civil War, Peter had been... T- Instead of Tony Stark showing up to invite him to be part of the Avengers, he takes an internship with Norman Osborn, and Norman Osborn becomes his mentor. And it's, you know, obviously Osborn is the Green Goblin, and uh, this change in mentorship is basically going to push Peter in a whole other direction. This is an alternate universe version of spider-man but uh, we we also know that some of the voices from the marvel cinematic universe are going to come into play here uh including charlie cox who is going to reprise his role as daredevil yep yep uh this is weird this is really really weird what do you make of this ryan well i was at the panel at comic-con i was at the big marvel animation panel and i even before they confirmed this, like during that panel, and I even said it in my write-up, I was like, I'm it's pretty much like it's all but confirmed this is a multiverse thing. Like, and uh I think that sort of allows them to not because I think the thing is they can't really get in the way of what Sony wants to do with Tom Holland Spider-Man, but this allows them a way out of that. Um, and it also sort of allows them to explore characters they otherwise haven't been able to explore. There's gonna be a ton of villains in this thing. I also have like a very crazy conspiracy theory rattling around in my head right now. But like, so the idea you talked about the Norman Osborn thing, uh, the concept art that was shown that you can find online. uh, Norman Osborn is very clearly black in this show, Uh, like very clearly. Uh, This is not this is not a a, a comics accurate. uh, uh, And I think that's cool. And I think that's interesting. But one of the things if the rumor mill has been very big that Giancarlo Esposito has been negotiating a role with marvel studios rumors have been that he might play professor x but i can't help but wonder if they're going like black norman osborne in the multiverse you maybe get Giancarlo esposito as like norman osborne from the main mcu since willem dafoe's green goblin was from another universe like i sort of had this weird like i wonder maybe that could be interesting Mm. but you know that that's that's neither here nor there i i think a lot of this boils down to the fact that that Marvel Studios wants to do this show and Sony would have to cooperate if they wanted to make it Tom Holland in that version and and doing things there. And you're somewhat limited in what story you can tell leading up to the events of Spider-Man Homecoming. So, I mean, I understand that. And uh, this series, Spider-Man Freshman Year, year will come out in 
2024 on Disney Plus, but they also announced that sophomore year is also been greenlit. So they're they're already doing a sequel series. I guess the strange thing to me, and, and this is cool, I, I'm I'm in, I'm gonna watch it. But the interesting thing to me is they're still like pushing hard on the this is MCU canon. That I don't get because like I don't. Were see... they pushing hard on that? Where where did they push hard on that? I didn't. <sighs> where, where did I re- actually write down slash? Because I didn't see because at the panel I was at, they weren't necessarily pushing. I mean, I guess everything's canon in a sense because of the multiverse, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's all yeah. like it's all canon in some way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't expect anything that happens in the animated series to come to come into play in the live action TV shows or movies. Um, so it's just weird that they keep on claiming this is canon. Like, it, it feels like now that they've opened the door to the multiverse, they can claim anything's canon. They could be like, oh, that's just another multiverse, you know, story. It didn't happen in our multiverse. Doesn't mean it's not. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It, it just feels. It feels like a gigantic loophole to me. Uh, it is a gigantic I'm, loophole. <laughs> yeah. I, that's like way, exactly what. Yeah, oh, I, ahead, I, I'm still in. I'm totally in. I'm still whatever. I'm just annoyed at the uh, the pretext of of. Yeah, but I mean, it's the same reason DC's doing it. It's the same reason it's appealing for everyone is because it's like I've said this before. Everything counts when it's convenient for it to count. And when it's not (laughs) convenient, you can just ignore it now. You know, like so, you you know, that's and also I do believe that this multiverse stuff is what is going to allow the MCU to hit the big reset button in Secret Wars. And I think they're going to get their reset button just shy of 20 years with into the MCU. And then they're going to be able to kind of start all over. And so, like, you know, then that gives you how much more runway for stories because you'll have just enough time to have nostalgia kick in for like, ooh, we get a new Iron Man. Ooh, we get a new whatever. You know what I mean? Like it and it doesn't like hurt. And, you know, I don't know. I just like it. it, I get it. I get the appeal of it. I really do. Well, with Marvel creating this Marvel animation division studio, whatever you want to call it, it really seems appealing to me that to be able to canonize stories like in animation like some some backstories of like seeing like you know other tony stark adventures that we didn't get to see or get to see like you know black widow you know her previous adventures because we're never going to see scarlett johansson reprise her role to do the you know prequel series again do you know what i mean like i feel like this would be the way to tell those stories but yeah it seems like they don't want to commit at the same time, they don't want to commit to stuff mattering. In, yeah, in canon. yeah, but maybe. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, okay, let's move on. Uh, lastly, to box office. Uh, what? Well, first of all, before we get into uh, this weekend's box office, everything, everywhere, all at once has uh, reached another milestone. Yeah, a twenty four is first film ever to hit a hundred million dollars worldwide. Um, it, uh, they, they, and I, I sense that a 24 was going to try to make this happen. So they re-released the movie in, uh, about a thousand screens this past weekend. So it did 650 K domestic again this weekend, but really what it's been is international grosses finally kicking in. Um, you know, because as we discussed before, a 24 had sold off the international rights, um, a, a, a while back to kind of help cover the budget. Uh, so yeah, now we have a 24. $5 million movie 
uh, that has it is almost certainly going to be in the Oscars conversation that has crossed $100 million at the box office. Um, I mean, quite possibly the most encouraging box office story of the year, in my in my opinion. Um, it's it's a great thing. And and again, you're you're you know, it's probably done very well on VOD. It seems to be selling well on Blu-ray. So, I mean, you know, this is this is going to be a huge moneymaker for a 24 because, you know, they essentially covered their budget with, with the international sales. So all that domestic box office is essentially gravy. And then like, you know, any VOD domestic Blu-ray sales, any of that, that's all them. So, I mean, that's good stuff. Well, good, good for them. Good for this movie. I always love when a great movie is, you know, getting attention and uh, I can't wait to see, you know how many awards it gets nominated for well there seems to be there seems to be like an emerging sweet spot within that like 20 to 25 million dollar mid-budget range because like not to jump ahead here but like where the crawdads sing a movie that when we talked about box office ahead of the summer you were like eh, i don't know and then like and then that movie now hey, you were also like i don't know so I well i didn't know but i was like well you know uh, you know what peter i'm gonna go ahead and still lay this one on your shoulders but but uh but again a 24 million dollar budget it's now at fifty three point five million domestic domestic internationals just kicking it at eight point seven sixty two point sixty two point two mil for that. So so you know you're looking at that has a real good shot at getting to a hundred as well. And again, not to jump ahead here, but Black Phone still cleaning up hundred and forty one million worldwide against an eighteen million dollar budget. So there really does seem to be a sweet spot for that mid that low mid budget movie right now. Yeah, well, well that's Blumhouse. You can't. Okay, but black, but okay, but Blumhouse, okay, but Blumhouse typically worked for ten mil or under. Yeah, Black yeah. Phone was eighteen. So I don't care what studio it is, if you're putting up mid budget for you know, and again, a non franchise film, and that's the key here. All three of those things I talked about, non franchise films. So I think that I I really like to see that emergence of the mid budget movie right now. I really do. By the way, I, I just love that, like, you know, well, well, of course, that's Blumhouse. Like, I, I have a lot of filmmaker friends that go around, like, you know, pitching stuff to studios. And uh, one of my friends had, like, an idea that was turned down by all the studios. And, like, it was an I like, everybody was like, oh, that would not work. That would not work. And then, like, Chris Nolan did something that was, like, similar to it. And it worked, you know, it made lots of money. And then he went back to the studios and every one of them, instead of saying like, you know, no, they were just like, oh, that's Chris Nolan. It, it wouldn't work unless it's Chris Nolan. <laughs> so it's, that's funny how that works. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that's just because it's Blumhouse. Um, okay. So so what else at the box office uh, this weekend? So the big, the big thing was DC League of Super Pets, the animated DC film about the super heroic pets of superheroes uh, hit theaters. Uh Came in at number one, but, you know, with 23 million, um, you know, always good to see your new movie top in the charts. Uh, inter internationally, we're at 41.4 million. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the worldwide total. So, like, not bad, but it has a 90 million dollar budget and you have a gigantic cast with like The Rock, Kevin Hart, John Krasinski, Keanu Reeves. You know, like this is a big cast. So, like, you know, I think it's good, but it's not great. And, uh, you know, it's a little soft and this is sort of proving that animation is still kind of the uncertain entity at the box office right now because Minions Rise of Gru costs crossed 700 million this weekend. So, like, you know, it's it's it kind of goes one way or the other. Um, the holds for DC League of Super Pets are going to be really important. You kind of got another weird crowded weekend coming up with Bullet Train uh, coming out uh, and uh, Bodies, 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 the A24 horror flick. 
So, like, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, then the other thing was Vengeance came out this weekend, which was a BJ Novak's feature directorial debut. Again, Blumhouse, but released through Focus Features instead of Universal. Uh, well, sorry to say, Focus Features, you do not have a hit on your hand that you're desperately needed. Uh, it only made $1.7 million, uh, which I think is a damn shame because I went and saw that last night with my girlfriend, actually, and I thought Vengeance was very good. Um, so I would encourage you to go see it. But, uh, you know, can't find the budget figures for it, so I'm not sure where they're at with it. But, you know, that, that was kind of a bummer, I thought. Yeah, and uh, and you said Nope is still making some good money? Yeah, Nope did well. Uh, it dropped 58%, which is like a lot, but it still made $18.5 And crucially, it did pretty well during the week. So it's at $80.5 million domestic already and has yet to release internationally. And the budget is said to be in the $68 million range. So it's still got some way to go, but it seems like if that international interest can carry over, uh, you know, so what you really probably want to see this movie do if you're universal is probably at least around 200 million, give or take. Uh, so it's well, it, I mean, it's, it's, you know, without an international release yet, I'd say it's well on its way to that. It should coast to a hundred million domestic, if not a lot more. So then what you're really hoping is that international can do 40% of, you know, 40% of what your domestic does. So, or, or I mean, uh, about I'm sorry about 80 percent of what your domestic does so that's pretty good yeah yeah and uh t- top gun is still still I, I, five right number five still, at the still five last two weeks in a row only dropped 20 percent again still made 8.2 million in its 10th weekend over <sighs> 1.3 billion dollars worldwide unbelievable just I, it's it's exhausting there's nothing it's, it feels like when spider-man no way home came out where it's like there's nothing more to say it is just unbelievable how successful this movie is i mean but spider-man we knew was going to be successful successful we didn't know how successful it was going to be top gun i i mean i'm not saying we didn't know it was going to be successful obviously it's a a sequel of a beloved movie but this is just insane this is insane numbers yeah i just mean like when i say like there was a point in spider-man no way home's run where every weekend the narrative was the same and there was nothing more to say about it and that's (laughs) kind of where we're at with top gun maverick like yeah it's made a ton of money and it's gonna and it's clearly gonna keep making money and at this point i'm shocked paramount hasn't forced it to vod or or uh or or paramount plus yet i i Wait, why I would they? They're making too much money on the big screen. But they, but what they want to do is goose those Paramount Plus subscriber numbers while the getting's good. So, like, you know, I, uh, but yeah, I, I imagine Tom Cruise has a lot of leverage right now to be like, no, we're gonna go ahead, you know, because because <laughs> the thing is, Cruise keeps making money the more this, you know, because he's got I think twenty percent first dollar gross or something. So, yeah. like, so let, let's assume that's true. Tom Cruise has made something like. 26 million dollars uh 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 or what or what no wait 260 million dollars is that i was gonna say that sounded way low (laughs) so it'd be so tom cruise has made something like 200 i mean if that's true i think he's got first yeah that oh my god good for him good for him yeah Uh, oh what do you like who would have thought it was going to be this property like i thought he was going to be making his big money off mission impossible i i just oh he is He's still yeah. he's if he's not a billionaire by the end of Mission Impossible Eight, I'll be surprised. But uh, but um, what what do you what, real quick before we finish this up? What do you put the Vegas odds on at Top Gun Three getting made? It has to at this point. Par- Paramount like 
is not doing well aside from Paramount's <laughs> doing great this year. Are you shit. Well, I mean, okay, they, they are doing great this year because of Top Gun, and they're gonna, you know, obviously with Mission Impossible coming up. But I feel no, but they like... also had Sonic Two, Jackass Forever, Scream, Lost City. They're Paramount's yeah. hitting it out of the park this year. I just feel like there's too much money to be made with another sequel to not do it. Oh, I agree. I I, I think they're gonna leverage the. I think Tom Cruise would have a smaller role in it, but I think they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna do whatever they got to do to get it to happen. Yeah, you, you have him as the mentor role. You have him as the, uh, I don't want to say Luke Skywalker and Force Awakens, but you know what I'm saying. No, I think, uh, I think, I think, I think he's maybe more the John Ham. Yeah. Like the way John Ham was in this one. I think he'd maybe be more, more that or something. I don't know. I, I, or, or maybe he just goes screw it and I'm just, I'm still going to, I'm going to take 25% first dollar gross and me and be a star in this one too. But uh, you, you don't, you don't think that they're going to re-release this once again in IMAX before the end of the summer. I don't know. I think at this point they're really just, I th- I think at this point they're really waiting for the, 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 the streaming and VOD release. Cause that's cause it's going to do gangbusters. I think like Top Gun Maverick is still the top selling Blu-ray on Amazon right now. And it doesn't even have a release date yet. So like, so yeah, I mean, they're going to clean up like crazy on this. I saw last week that like Peacock, like now if, if you're a Universal Studios pass holder, you get Peacock. Like there's a deal where you get uh, Peacock for free or something like that. Well, Peacock just lost a whole bunch of money again last quarter. So I'm <laughs> guessing they're trying to goose those subscriber numbers again. Yeah, I suspect a lot of these streaming services are going to be doing deals like that where it's just like just to up those numbers and make it look good on paper. Well, Peacock, way. just for reference, Peacock lost, I think, $1.7 last year, and it lost Ooh. another $467 million this last quarter. Ouch. Okay, so, that hurts. Yeah, I don't know how you keep that. I just don't know how that's sustainable. I just simply do not know how that is even remotely <laughs> sustainable. So, good luck. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Okay, we have reached the, the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Write us a review. Give us five stars. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.